Good morning. Everybody doing okay? I hate to tell you this, but tomorrow the high is 46. Yeah, 46. So um, I don't know if you're like my house, and I have a rose bush that I saved a couple of years ago. It was left here at the church, and nobody ever claimed it, and it was dying. So I took it home. You can say that I stole it. I don't care. But I took it home and saved it, and it actually grew. It's a little miniature yellow or yaller uh, rose bush. And, um, you know, it's been going now for three years. Well, it's, you know, you cut it back to three inches when it gets cold. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's what you do. Well, it started to bud again like within this time frame. So I hope, it, I hope it survives. So if you have a yard and stuff is coming out, I hope that your stuff survives as well. But tomorrow it'll be 46. They're calling for snow. Don't hold your breath. Back at the beginning of December, they called for snow at Christmas, which they do every year. I try to tell people they do this every year to get our hopes up, but it, it didn't snow at all. Well, we have made it around the sun one more time. We've made it to this point, um, 2022 20, now. And today, on the 2nd of January, is my son's birthday. He's 19 years old. 19 years old, yeah. So, amazing. Um, yeah, we've celebrated his birthday 20 times. Yeah, 20 times. Yeah, 20 times. Yeah, I know he's 19, but do the math. He was zero, right? You held him. If you didn't celebrate that, you have a problem. So 20 times, 20 times we've celebrated it. So he's, he's 19 today. So yeah, around the sun. So we, we circle around the sun and every year means that we left another year in history. So 2021 is now in history. And there are several views of how history progresses. Okay? So I want to start with that. History, some people say, is a circle, and everything comes around. You know, if it happened now, it comes around later. Um, so the 1970s had a certain style of clothing. In 2022, I am seeing some of that same style back. I know that people that are younger think that they're brand new with some of the stuff, but they're not. In the 80s, when I actually cared about style, some of that stuff is actually coming back as well. So you, you have this 80s and 70s stuff. So you can kind of see how, you know, people would think that, you know, nothing really ever changes. What happens here will eventually happen again, and it's all circular, and that's how history is. Another view of history is that it has its ups and its downs, and 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 it just continues to, to progress like that. So we have good times where the human race is doing great, and then we, have, we bottom out, and it's horrible. So to put it in today's terminology... Uh, January 2019 would be here, March 2020 would be here, right? And I'm not so sure that we're not still going to, but anyway, nonetheless, we, we're, still, we're still doing that, so that's a, view, that's a view of history. Another one that is interesting to me 
that is definitely not true. Like you can see this, but around the turn of the last century, there was this thing called progressive. And it meant something different back then. It meant that things were getting better and better and better and better. And in fact, there's a whole theology wrapped around this where the kingdom is here, it's called amillennialism, and things are just getting better and better and better, and eventually everything will be perfect and we won't have to have law and Jesus will be back and all that kind of stuff. And, and that was around 1900, right? And then what happened was World War II, one, World War I, and it kind of killed this whole thing, not two, because one came before two and yeah, that sort of deal. All right. Well, now we have this viewpoint, and I've heard this recently several times, that um, history is regressing. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So in 2020, 2021, 2022, there's this view that history isn't circular. It isn't going up and down. It is just constantly getting worse, and there's no end to the bottom out of all this. Well, this is all fine and good. I mean, this is a human perspective of, of how history goes, but here is your biblical perspective. And the biblical perspective that I'm going to draw starts from the flood and Noah getting off the ark, okay? And this is how the timeline goes. It's straight, okay? And right here, and all during this time period, is what's called a restrainer. And the restrainer is restraining evil from getting too bad. So it's not going down, it's not going up and down, although we feel the good times and the bad times. It's not quite this drastic. And things aren't just recycling. What's happening is, is mankind is evil. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so the more people you get doing evil over a period of time, the worse the world gets. Like it's different. If it's 10 people doing evil and we have the whole planet, then Millions of people doing evil, and they have the whole planet. So it's always evil, and there's a restrainer that's restraining it from going down. But the Bible says that one day the restrainer will be removed, and instantly it will get worse. Instantly. It will be a massive drop. Not like a regression, but a massive drop. And at the end of this time period where the restrainer had been removed... There's a person that comes back for the second time. His name is Jesus. And when he comes back, he moves it back up to where it's never been before. And history progresses like this perfectly for eternity. So this is a biblical view of history. Everything's bad. Everybody needs to be saved. It's bad. Restrainer is removed. Boom, it gets worse. Jesus comes back. Boom, he makes everything better and everything is perfect from that day on. Pretty cool, isn't it? And if you really think about it, this is actually happening. And to show you that this is really the way the Bible teaches, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians is after First Thessalonians. That's a pastor joke. Of course, the pastor is having trouble finding Second Thessalonians. Wow. Do what? 
I did not. I need to go back to Awana. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now listen. It says this. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers. Let's pause there a moment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is one of the most debated passages of Scripture in all the New Testament. There are so many variant interpretations of this and people add stuff to it all the time. And the reason is, is that we really don't know what's going to happen in the future. We just know very little. And what we do know, if we stay to the scriptures, um, bothers us. And so we want to know more. So we try to figure it out. So there's a bunch of discussion. All that to say, there's a bunch of discussion and nobody really agrees. Okay. Now, what I want you to do for the next few moments is I want you to set aside everything that you know about future events. I don't want you to forget it because I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I, I, I just want you to set it aside. And I want to look at this text for what it is, okay? And just draw from the text exactly what's being said and it alone. Now, I might reference a couple of other little things just to give some clarity to the text. But just for the future events purpose, I just want you to think through what Paul is saying to these people. So the first thing he's saying is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So the first thing Paul is saying is, the day of the Lord hasn't come. Jesus Christ, his second return, has not come. Paul is saying, I know what you've heard. I know what you've read. That letter was not from me. I, I know what you're thinking. I know why you're alarmed, but Jesus Christ has not returned. And let me tell you something, that's a comfort for me. Because if Jesus had come back, I'm still here. And I don't like that too much, right? I'm supposed to be with him when Jesus returns. The second thing I want you to realize is this is talking about the second coming of Christ and not the rapture, Okay. So we get those two things kind of confused and there's all kinds of stuff that happens as a result of that. This isn't the rapture, it's the second coming to Christ. So he says, that they, Jesus Christ has not come. Do not be shaken, do not be alarmed, do not be worried. He hasn't come. And Paul is going to say, because there's some things that have to happen before Jesus' second coming. There's some things that have to occur. So verse third, three says this, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, love those words, is revealed the son of destruction. So before Jesus returns here, Men of lawlessness has to be revealed. There are two people going to be revealed. One is the man of lawlessness and one is Jesus Christ. I want you to note that he does not call him the Antichrist. The only person in scripture that calls, calls this person the Antichrist is John in 1 John. That's, that's it. That's the only place it is. Here, Paul is just saying the man of lawlessness. And so he says he's got to be revealed. And before that, there's a great rebellion. So before any of this 
takes place, where it goes all the way down and all the way up, there's a rebellion, men of lawlessness is revealed, and then something else occurs. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. And this continues, revealed in his time. Um, For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And so this is the restrainer. He will continue to restrain the lawlessness. The lawlessness is already at work and we can see it. When the restrainer is removed, um, it goes all the way down and, and it's, it's just not a good time. So that, that's, the, that's the progression. You and I could actually see the day where the rebellion happens. We could actually see the day where the man of lawlessness comes on the scene. Now this is where I have to go to another verse of scripture but then I want us to come back and park all this. The verse of scripture I'm referring to is the tribulation does not start until there's a treaty signed by the men of lawlessness and Israel. And that's when the seven days of tribulation starts. So you and I could actually one day see the rebellion happen and the man of lawlessness come on the scene. Now, what is this man of lawlessness and why didn't Paul just call him the Antichrist? Well, that's not what he's trying to communicate. This guy is against everything that the scripture has. He is lawless concerning God's law and God's way of living. And so, this spirit of lawlessness, and then this guy named Law, this guy, this lawless guy, is a guy that just does everything opposite of the scriptures. He does not abide by the scriptures. He thinks that he's God and he's trying to set up his own religion, okay? So how does he do that? Well, it says here that lawlessness is already at work and that he's going to eventually set himself up in the temple. So what the spirit of lawlessness is doing right now to set up the coming of the lawlessness one, I'm just gonna call him the Antichrist because that's just a lot easier. I don't want to, but I'm going, I'm going to, because for some reason, I just can't say that, okay? So, spirit of lawlessness is setting up this guy to come on the scene to take over, okay, and set him up in the temple. It's already at work, and I'll tell you where it's already at work. He's already trying to take over, not a political system, he's already got that. Not a cultural system, he already has that. He's trying to take over the church, Okay, he's trying to take over the church. And if you look, and I'm going to be careful here, if you look in even our community, you can see where this has already taken place. There are churches in our community that are not following the word of God and what it says is right and wrong and how to run a church. They are there. I am not going to list them for you because that's not how I roll. But if you look around, you can see where this has already taken place. And there is a restrainer that is restraining it from getting too far. In fact, I would submit to you that there's whole denominations that have swung away from the word of God. 
and they're doing things that aren't according to the word of God, the whole denominations. They're not following it. And what they've done is they've taken the lawless morality and they've, and they've allowed that to enter into the church and that is what they are teaching. They're teaching stuff that is contrary to the word of God. And here is this restrainer. Now, I believe that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit of God. That's what I believe it is. And I also believe that the Holy Spirit of God lives in every believer. He lives inside of me. He lives inside of you. And we, with the Holy Spirit, is part of that restraining the evil from getting worse. And one day, the Holy Spirit will be removed. I think that's me. Okay? I think that's me. And so, not that I'm the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? I am that for Nicole sometimes, but not for you. Okay? Yeah. Not that I'm the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And I'm part of his restraining work of evil. Okay? So, restraining. So people ask me sometimes, why don't I get involved in politics? Why am I not more involved in politics? Making a voice, you know, doing whatever I could do for politics. And I'll tell you why. Because that's not my job. My job is to prevent wrong teaching from entering 1835 Farmington Road. My job is to make sure that we are following the scriptures and following Christ. That is my job. I am making sure that the lawlessness does not enter these doors. That's my job. And you know what? It's your job too, right? It is not, it is not your job, and you can like a sermon or not like a sermon. That, that's not restraining. That's just preference. Your job is to make sure that the Word of God is being taught here at 1835 Farmington Road, and it's the Word of God alone, and it's not the culture coming in and the cultural ideas interpreting Scripture, but it's Scripture making a different sort of environment for people to live in. That is what we do. And so I'm very serious about this. I, we're, we're in a denomination, we're Southern Baptists. There are conversations that I've had about liberalism and people doing certain things and believing this and that where I'm saying, hey, that's not scriptural and that is not the way that we should go. I mean, that is my job. When, when I'm with friends and I, I have all kinds of friends and a friend says something that smells of going away from scripture, it is a conversation at that particular point in time because that is my job. I am supposed to protect this right here, and you are too. We need to take seriously that you and I, as believers, are part of this restraining of evil in the world. This is what ties back into last week's message. You are salt, you are light, be salty, and be light. Now, if you didn't listen to that sermon, go back online and, and do that. There's more to it than that. But we are salt and we are light and we are part of that restraining power of evil, that power that restrains evil. And at the beginning of this year, we really need to take that seriously because there is a real conspiracy happening in our world. I don't know if my wife loves conspiracies. Um, she has all kinds of conspiracies that's going to happen or not happening. She, and she would be up here telling you, yes, I do. You know, she's perfectly fine with that. I mean, she's like that conspiracy person. She's not overly 
doing it, but nonetheless, she's conspiracy. And I know that you know people that are all about conspiracies. You know people that have stored up items in their house just in case something happens. Oh, come on. I'm not making fun of these people. I'm just saying, you know people. I'm not making fun. I wouldn't do that. I'm too scared of them. Okay? And too scared of them. So, so they're, they're doing that. But this is a real conspiracy. There is a lawless spirit at work that's getting into churches. And once it's in churches, people outside of the churches no longer trust the people in the church because they're just like them and they're saying the same lies everybody else is. And the spirit of lawlessness is all around us trying to get in. And it's your responsibility and my responsibility to, to tap into the Holy Spirit and restrain that from getting into our churches and into our homes. It's not just here, in your house. I cannot come to your house and do this for you. You do not want me to come to your house to do this for you. It's not my job, and it's only one of me. You know, I do wish that the cloning thing was a real deal. It would make my job a lot easier. I could send one clone to the hospital, and if he gets sick and dies, I could replace him. Right? But I can't do that. So I'm just one. So you have to also do this in your home. We are called to be restrainers, restrainers of evil. So this continues. The lawless one will be revealed. Verse 8 When the Lord Jesus, and when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. I don't know what he ate. Well, it was nasty. Just joking. And bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. I think that's a very encouraging verse. This spirit of lawlessness sometimes I feel like can't be stopped. You ever feel that way? Like you just feel like you can't stop it. You feel like you can't resist it. You feel like you can't do anything about it. But here is Jesus Christ, and with his mere breath, he destroys it. That's powerful. Very powerful. And I am glad that I am on that side. So, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. By the way, that verse has a direct connection to the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ, where Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down to him. And so here at the end, when the lawless one is going to be revealed, Satan finds someone that will bow to him and he gives him all the kingdoms of the world. Yeah. So verse 10 with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Now, there are two pillars to salvation. There's the sovereignty of God in election and there's the free will choosing of man. And nobody, nobody has ever been able to rectify the two. How God chooses us And he makes a choice. He chose me by name. That's scriptural. 
but also how I chose him because he drew me to salvation. How that rectifies and gets us into heaven, nobody knows. A lot of disagreement on that. What this verse says, though, is this. They refused to love the truth and so be saved. In other words, they were presented with the gospel and they refused to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. Paul is going to make sure that you know, if you're not a Christian, that it's very dangerous to reject that free gift of salvation. And this is what he says. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. So here's a person that's rejected Christ and his, his message of salvation over and over and over again, and God respects that decision and sends a delusion and helps them achieve their goal. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about that. But I guarantee you, you know people that you suspect that this has happened. They've been witnessed to over and over and over and over and over again. And it's not for us to judge, but there's a point in time where God just says, I'm going to give them up. This is not the only place Paul talks about this. If you read Romans chapter one, he talks about the same thing. He gives them up to their vile affliction, uh, not afflictions, their vile actions is what it says there. So there's a point in time where God says, okay, you're not gonna change and so I'm gonna help you move in that direction. Is God a God of grace? Yes. Is God a God of mercy? Yes. But do you wanna play with him? No. You do not wanna play with God. He's gracious, merciful, loves you, but you don't wanna play with him. The scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Do not reject that gift from God. Do not reject it. Continues verse 12, in order that all may be condemned who did not, listen, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And if you're choosing unrighteousness over Jesus, that scripture right there tells you where you're headed. Oh, and now we move on to something more positive. Verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved. See, here's that other pillar. <laughs> You're responsible for your choice, but God chooses you. And I don't know how it all works out, but this is what I'm thankful for. I am thankful that God chose me to be his child. I'm very thankful for that. And I know that he sought me out. I did not seek him out. I did not have the capacity to seek God out. But he sought me out and offered me salvation and I accepted it. And that is an amazing thing. How that works out, I really don't care. I'm just glad he chose me. And for whatever reason, at that moment, I chose him. And that is an amazing thing. So chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and the belief in the truth. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, we're gonna get back to that. Verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm. He is saying everything's bad, but it's not as bad as it could be. 
There's a restrainer. Jesus has not returned yet to make everything better, so you don't have to worry about that. But the lawlessness is still at work. The lawless one will be revealed, and the restrainer will be removed. So what do we do in the meantime? Before we are removed, before the restrainer is removed, what do we do? And Paul says to stand firm. Stand firm on what? The word of God. Stand firm on what we believe. Stand firm on what God wants us to do. Stand firm. Stand firm for truth. It is so difficult, ladies and gentlemen, to stand for truth. It is difficult. Here's why. The world and that system, that lawless system, has a way of making you feel guilty for not living the way they want you to live. They will say, you don't care for people. You don't love the people. You don't, you don't really, um, you're not really concerned for them. And they will make you feel like a bad person for calling sin what it is. And we're all emotional beings. And I don't care how tough you are. We're all emotional beings. And that weighs on our shoulders. But what we as Christians have to do is we have to stand firm and we have to say that lifestyle is wrong according to scripture and we stand for that. That's what we have to do. We stand for the truth of scripture. We say that that's wrong. So in the church, something happens and nothing has happened yet, but I have to step out and say, look, that teaching is wrong and here is why according to scripture, that is a moment that we have to stand you need to stand in your home. You need to stand in your home. If there are things happening in your home that should not be happening, that is the moment that you say, hey, 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 that does not happen within these walls. We are not going to do that. That is against scripture. If you don't do that, you allow lawlessness to enter into your home unchecked. You are no longer the restrainer in your household. So you say, no, we cannot do that. And you stand. That's how you stand. Now, at work, it's different. Here's different. Your home's different. You should be the king and queen of your household, right? You should be able to do that. But at work, if something's happening, the way you stand is you don't participate in the sin. You don't participate in what they're doing. If they ask you why, you tell them. Or if you can tell them, you tell them. And you witness to them about your faith and why you don't believe that that is what you should do. It's if someone hands you something to look at that you shouldn't be looking at. It's if someone starts gossiping about somebody and you know scripture tells you not to gossip and on and on and on and on. If it happens, you stand and say, hey, I just don't do that. You leave it personal and you try your best to figure out how to witness to those people that are around you that are doing it. Is, am I, are you tracking? So you always stand. Now, this continues. Uh, verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. Now, that particular word, tradition, is a mix of teaching and traditions. And the church has gotten to where that they just, a lot of Christians just don't like traditions. They just don't like traditions. Look, you're, you're looking at one of them. Just, I don't know. I, there's just some traditions I just don't understand and, and stuff like that. Well, here in Scripture, Paul is saying, hey, 
You need to hold to the traditions that were passed down from you. Now, what is that? Um, I do think it's interesting that we don't like traditions, but we go through them every year. Like all of you put up your Christmas tree this year, right? No? Okay. Great. Well, a couple of people didn't put up their Christmas tree. There's this book called The Scrooge. Uh, <laughs> nonetheless, you put up a Christmas tree. That's a tradition. People celebrate birthdays. I'm celebrating my son's birthday. You might be too old to celebrate yours anymore. You don't want to be reminded of how old you are. And you were hoping that people would forget that it's your birthday and that would no longer happen. But my son had a birthday today and it's a tradition for us to celebrate that. We are going to Chili's at 2.30. If you'd like to join us, um, hopefully you can get a seat. Just let me, anyway, nonetheless, we're going to Chili's afterwards. We're going to celebrate with the family. It's going to be a great time. It's a tradition. Do you know that every day that you wake up, there's a tradition happening outside? The sun always comes up and it always sets every day. The moon comes up. It may be in a different phase. You might not can see it, but it's in the sky. It may be at a different phase, but it's traditionally there. Like you know that it's going to be there and we're, we're fine with that. We're fine with Christmas. We're fine with birthdays. We're fine with the world doing the thing that it does. We're fine with the year going around and celebrating New Year's and coming to a new year and a fresh start. We're fine with all of that. Then why aren't Christians fine with traditions in the church? So what are some of those traditions? Let me tell you what they're not. Don't throw things at me. They are not your hymn book, okay? They are not your version of the Bible. The traditions Paul is talking about are over 2,000 years old. They're not within the last century or so. Are you tracking? It's not those traditions. So what traditions and teachings have have been passed down? Well, number one, baptism is a tradition. It's a teaching. It's a tradition. It should never get old. Man, I would would do that every Sunday. Every Sunday. Someone accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and they want to tell you about it. I think that's amazing. So there have been people that I've baptized, more than not, that were scared to death to get into the water. They were scared to death, not because of the water, but because they're in front of people. Right? Scared to death because they're in front of people. But because Jesus hung on a cross without any clothes on and shed his blood for them, they got the courage to be baptized, to tell people that they've received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's a beautiful thing. That is tradition. Another tradition is the Lord's Supper. Now, we do it differently. Every time that we do it, we do the Lord's Supper differently. My favorite one is the floating communion that we do at Easter time. You actually float in and out. One of the positives of that that might draw you to it is I don't speak. Okay, I, don't, I don't speak at that one, right? So it's just you and Jesus in this room. That's it. There might be some other people sprinkled throughout, but it's alone time with you and God thinking about what he did for you on the cross. It, it's one of my favorite communions of all time. I mean, it's amazing. So that is a tradition. Here's another tradition. Coming to church. Hebrews says, do not forsake the assemblings of yourself together. 
Well, Philip, they didn't have buildings back then. No, but they met. They met in groups, in homes, and they had a lesson, and they worshiped, and they did things. You see, the lawless one has created an environment in our country now where you don't have to come to church. You can just watch it at home. Now, we stream. You know we're streaming. We stream, and I'm happy for that. I'm happy for the fact that there's people at home watching this right now that can't come. I'm absolutely happy about that. But it doesn't replace the ritual of coming to a location and being with the people of God. You cannot tell me, you cannot convince me, rather, I guess that's a, a better way of putting it, that the people that are watching it in their home aren't distracted, aren't going to their refrigerator, bathroom, Kids playing with stuff. Stuff happens in the house. Dog walks by. You can't, help, you can't tell me that it's, it's just, you know, that I am so compelling on screen. That's, you can't tell me that. I've watched myself. I am not that speaker, okay? I'm not that speaker. There is something about coming to a location and being with the people of God. And the lawless one does not want you to do that because if you're alone at home, he can pick you off. Now, when we started, you know, this whole streaming thing, um, yeah, I'm sure we were all dialed in to what was happening on the screen. But as time progresses, the lawless one keeps shooting darts at that and you just don't watch it like you used to. You just don't. So a tradition, a teaching A habit, a rhythm, is for you to not forsake the assembling of yourself together and be in church. Well, Philip, I'm scared to come. Uh, Yeah, okay. Come. Come. Figure out how to do that. Traditions. Teachings. The other teachings I don't have time to go through. It's, it's, it's diving into the word of God and seeing what it actually says and living it out in your life. And you hold on to these teachings. You hold on to them. That is a firm grip on them. And you do not let them go. Verse 16, 2 Thessalonians says this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. The last thing that you and I need to do is we need to make sure that we are about doing good works and giving good words to people. Good works meaning works that Jesus has called us to do. We are called to reach people. We are called to love. We are called to be involved. We are called to be salt and light to everyone around us and do good works. This particular establishes is, is something that is established and it stays. It doesn't go away. It doesn't disintegrate. It stays. And the word, what people need today is not another word of negativity, not another word that is negative or whatever. They need a positive word that says that God is still at work in the world. You've already caught on to this, but I need to say it. There are two people that are coming. Two people. A lawless man is coming first. And that is where all the evil in the world will have its heyday, will have its big explosion, will have its 
time in the light, okay? But then there's all of us that are doing good. And when the second person comes back, all the good that we're doing, all the good that we thought had nothing, no impact on culture, no impact or anything, will come to flourishing in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will understand why we did that thing and why it meant so much to be done. Does that make sense? It is going to be a great day. So you're either doing good things in prep for Jesus to come, or you're doing unrighteous things in prep for the lawless one to come. We need to stand firm and hold on to the truths and do good works for the glory of our Father who is in heaven. So that is the end of that series. Oh, and you didn't clap. That means it was good. Okay, great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the stage you've given us. And um, 